You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You are joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show who are all in the same journey to master their photography. I am Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode, and joining me for this episode today is Connor Hibbs. How are you, Connor? I'm doing really well, man. How are you doing? I'm doing so good. It's, it's been fun. I've, I've done a few shows solo recently, but I'm really glad to have you on with me today. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad that I was able to make it on. It has been far, far too long since I've been on, but I've been listening. You've been doing great, so it, <laughs> it's nice to be here, though. Yeah, so glad. Okay, I'm, I'm glad we could work this out. T- tell everyone what you've been up to for the last little bit. Yeah, um, so I, I feel like I've mentioned it on the show, but I'm not entirely sure how much I've talked about it. But um, on top of working full-time as a photographer and being incredibly busy with that kind of stuff, um, I'm also a student in school. So this last semester was just a, a little bit of a killer between busy season and taking some of the toughest courses that I've ever taken. Um, and and yeah, just, just been really busy keeping my nose to the grindstone. Yeah. Awesome. And and so what is it you're studying in school? Um, well, so this last semester, I, I did some calculus two and some calculus based physics, but ultimately, I'm working on a degree towards civil engineering. Wow. Well, good for you. That's really exciting. Uh, setting a good example for us. <laughs> <laughs> sure, whatever you say. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things I wanted to catch up with you on was I, I saw you post to Instagram recently a, yes. a photo from one of your shoots that I, I really was dying to ask you about anyway when I saw it on Instagram because the awesome. shot was so beautiful. It was it was an excellent portrait that um, that I wanted to find out more about. And we're we're gonna put some link some pictures in the show notes from this shoot. But I, I wanted to ask you about how this shoot came to be. Like, it, did you arrange it? Uh, was it a client? How did you get? What was the lighting setup? There's lots of different backgrounds. But let's start with how it got set up. How did this shoot get created? Yeah, so so this is something that um, it, it's a local model here. I guess she's she's from Denver, um, and she had just sent me an Instagram message um, saying that she'd be interested in working with me. And um, you know, I usually I'll just tell people, you know, I'm really busy right now. I don't <laughs> really have the time. I get a lot of those messages, um, but she kind of messaged right at the perfect time. It's like right when I had um, gone on break from school and work had slowed down. I didn't have too much on my plate at the moment, so I was like, okay. Uh, I I don't necessarily have the time right now, but I can I can find a way to make this work. Um, so she she also had a bit of a following that that helped a little bit. She right, like, right. Uh, um, when it's somebody that has you know five hundred followers, it's one thing, but somebody that's close to fifteen thousand, I'm like, okay, maybe maybe I can find the time. Um, but yeah, so so it was just something that she had kind of reached out at the perfect time, and I was I, kind of hurting to do some personal work. I hadn't shot a personal project in probably half a year at this point. Um, yeah. Very cool. Okay, so so you arranged, did you go to a studio? Because you have a lot of different backgrounds here that, that you yeah. shot on. So, so um, we actually shot this in my studio. Okay. Um, I, I have a studio in downtown Colorado Springs. And let's see, I, I'm going to go through my final edits here and, and pick apart. Let's see. I have one, two, three. I think I had four different backdrops that I ended up using. Um, did, did I send you the link to the, these already for you to kind of take a look through it? I yeah, can yeah. talk about them as we're going through. Yep. Awesome. Um, so so in this this first image, it has this kind of light blue background. Yeah. And then the, the second image in there is kind of a medium blue. And the, the thing is, those two are actually the same roll of paper. Uh-huh. Um, there's just a difference between with the light blue, I had lights on on it to get kind of this icy sky blue which was something that she had kind of brought up as a concept that she wanted to do something um icy and cold and that was kind of the the idea there um and as i was shooting i realized you know i I think that a richer darker medium tone blue would actually look better um so i pulled the lights off of it pulled her away from the paper a little bit and it got a little bit darker and then um in in terms of wardrobe i told her to bring something that was a a complementary color and something that was an analogous color to the backdrop so if we move on from there you see this kind of orange top that she's wearing on this dark blue paper Right. And she came out in the orange top, and I just realized I need to go much, much darker 
with that. So I actually got a different roll of paper for that. Um, so ultimately, I ended up using three different rolls of paper, kind of a, a medium light blue, a darker, it, I think it's called oil blue from um, Savage Backdrop <laughs> okay. Paper. All right. And um, then finally, I have this kind of pinkish backdrop that we shot on, which was just some pieces of... Uh, insulation board that were painted that have been sitting around in my studio that I've never used before. Um, but she wanted to do something on a pink background and um, sent me some colors that were, it, it, I, I'm, I hesitate to even call it pink. It's in a pink <laughs> tone, but it's so dark um, that it was, I don't know what this color is. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll, put, we'll put some pictures in the, in the show notes so they can go see what those colors yeah. look like. Okay, so so that's that's awesome. You're you're in a studio. Is this studio pretty large in space, or is it limited? What what's um, the size like? You know, it, it's it's a, a sizable space. It's not huge. It's not one of those like big warehouse spaces uh-huh. that you often see. Um, but I I probably have it, it. I'd say it's somewhere around thirty feet, forty feet long. Oh, um, okay, by maybe twenty feet wide. So it's it's big enough that I can kind of move around. We, we have some stuff stored in one of the corners of the studio, so it um, takes up a good chunk of the space on one side. Um, but it's it's definitely big enough to move around and and kind of maneuver a lot of different rolls of paper, et cetera. Gotcha. Okay, that that's good. And they're the same. Is it the same like paper roll holder? And you're swapping out the rolls. Yeah, so so um, we have we have one set of paper holders that are is actually like mounted um, to to the ceiling, but with those we have just a white, a black, and a gray. Uh-huh. So I I have a, another just a backdrop holder that I kind of use for when I'm going on location places uh-huh. that I I pull out and put my rolls of paper on those. Okay, all right. So yeah, it's a little little bit of swap over between each each setup, but especially when it comes to personal work, it's something that I don't really mind taking the time to swap sure, things out like that. Right. Not in as much of a rush to get the client back out the door. Yeah, definitely not not nearly as much. When that's the case, I'll usually pick if I'm doing anything with a color, I'll pick like one color yeah. that I have set up on one wall, and then I'll just use my black, white, or gray, which I can very quickly drop right. down and pull back up. Right. Okay, so now lighting setup. How many yes. lights and where are they at? So I, I actually I shot pretty much the entirety of this session with... Um, I, I was actually about to lie. I, I shot a lot of it with two lights, um, but ended up using more... It's kind of just one light with a very, very low fill for the second one. Um, so throughout, if we move through this entire set... Almost everything, I have the light somewhere off to the camera left side of the frame, um, and uh, to to maybe a little bit, uh, almost directly overhead. It was it was actually just a little bit off to one side, okay. um, but pretty pretty flat light for a few of these as well. Um, yeah, I, I I kind of wanted to push myself. I I like using multiple lights. Um, depending on the session, and I was trying to push myself to not overcomplicate my lighting. I wanted something that was very simple and classic and um, almost painterly. And and in general, if you look at old world masters, they're using single light sources because that's all they had. Right. Um, so I, I was trying to either use a single light source or get a look of a single light source. So even when I had that second one off on the other side, um, just kind of at a 90 degree angle from one another, I was just using... Uh, at a very very low fill to fill in some shadows okay and then the background did you have you know, like the first one you said you really lit up the background for the light light blue yeah very true so so that first one i guess that one was a a three light setup because i had one light that was um i tried putting two lights on either side which is uh-huh. kind of how i light white paper uh-huh. um and i was just noticing it wasn't giving me a good consistent tone of blue across the paper i'd kind of get really highlight highlighted spots and then darker so instead i actually boomed the light out over her head and then just faced it back towards the paper um, to get a a more even light across that paper gotcha gotcha yeah well they're beautiful beautiful images how about modifiers was it a a really big soft box that was the primary light yeah, yeah. What one of my favorite modifiers for broad lit stuff is um, a sixty inch softbox. So I had a, um, I shoot mostly policy buff lighting. Um, at least at the moment, I shoot policy buff lighting, <laughs> um, and I have a, a big sixty inch octabox in in the studio. So I use that for pretty much all of the session. 
Beautiful. And I love the the posing too. I mean, she she's a model, so she probably knows how to do this kind of stuff. Yes. Pretty well. Um, but the, especially the ones where she's like her face is pointed towards the light, but she still looks at the camera. It's uh, it just makes the beautiful shadows that are still there. Yeah, that, that's the thing I that I struggle with the most. I think when I'm shooting portraits is getting still having the shadows, but having them be this really nice soft transition away from it, and having that nice big modifier getting really close to them. That's what produces those beautiful shadows. Yeah, that that nice soft shadows. I, I've definitely had models. I feel like I've mentioned this before. I've had models tell me that I light uh, in a way that they're not used to because I put <laughs> lights right up in people's faces right. most of the time. I, I like to get them very close to just get the softest light I can possibly get, especially for some of those tighter compositions um, where it's okay for a really dramatic fall off. I like putting a light just in, directly in front of them and how um, for that how far away so, so some of those were their darker backgrounds yes. how far away were you putting the model to make sure that light didn't spill off onto the background um i so i i had her for those darker backgrounds i had her pulled out a good distance from the paper so probably mm, nine feet uh-huh. ten feet Okay. Um, just, just to, to make sure that, you know, I, I get a kiss of light on there and it also depends, uh, some of those, uh, that, uh, that are on the darker paper where it is a more flat light, the light is actually shooting directly towards the paper. So it matters more that I have her pulled out if I want it to be darker where, um, I, I kind of moved the light around her a little bit more in, um, if you look at the the fifth image in that setup, uh-huh. um, you can see it's it's a little bit more shadowy and contrasting. Right. I have the light kind of scraping across the paper a bit more, so it wouldn't have mattered quite right. as much if I hadn't put her right. as far back from the paper for that one. Do you have a grid on the softbox too? No, I don't. Okay. Um, sometimes I, I nothing against grids. I use grids <laughs> a lot, but in this instance, um, no, I was just using the the box itself. There's a little lip between the front panel uh-huh. of it, um, so you still get some control of the edge of where that light falls, and it helps being a strobe photographer because I have those modeling lights that show right. me exactly where my light's falling. Right. Um, I, I think. I would I would probably struggle with this a lot more if it weren't for having those modeling lights where I can kind of see how my light's falling as I'm moving the light around. Right. Yep. Well, it's another very cool thing. I I, I don't know if you were referring to possibly switching over to Godox lights, but it, it is <laughs> yeah. another cool thing about the Godox because they do have the model lights still. So those, oh, I know, and and that's cool. that's one thing that has become very compelling for me is that how compact those units are, yes. and still having most of the features that I look for <laughs> right. in strobes. Not quite the same pop 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 capability, but close. But yeah, you know, and that's the thing. I'm not. Sometimes I can get a little carried away, and I, I can fire off a lot of, of pops at one right after another. But I, I take my time, usually. I don't shoot a lot of rapid-fire stuff when I'm working, because I like to kind of um, work with the, the models. In this instance, for this session, she was a model that knew how to pose herself. One of the reasons that I was excited about working with her was after nine months of having to direct everybody to every minute detail of how they pose their body, it was nice to have somebody that could just get there on their own and i could just sit there and wait for them to move shoot another one shoot 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 but in general i take my time so i'm not too worried about that uh super fast recycle time on the flashes right so that it's a it's a really good example then about how a photographer can use instagram to be able to uh to be successful Yes, uh, that's funny because I've I've really not been using Instagram <laughs> at all. I, everybody was posting their top nine photos from the last year yes. recently, yes. and I went through and realized I posted nine photos in entirety last year. <laughs> so I was I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that because I know what my top nine are. Everybody knows. I'm, I'm going to try and be a little bit better about that this year, though. Yeah. I don't do Instagram. Just, I mean, I have some accounts and I, I actually consume images on Instagram a lot. I still yeah. go and look and get inspiration there. It's just the level of effort and time it takes. Uh, priority wise, it's just too far down the list and it never gets any any attention from me. It's just how yeah. I've chosen to to do stuff. But it certainly worked out here. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, I, I find Instagram is great for when I have time for personal projects. I'm, I can definitely dig and find people, um, that I can work with in that variety. And I love consuming stuff on Instagram. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's such a low priority. I really don't see a lot of business coming through for me and the type of work that I do. 
Um, I get a lot of people that are interested in collaboration, which means I don't have money to pay you. Right, right. Okay, well, I I mean, I appreciate that, but (laughs) I have to be not busy, which um, clearly is not the case so much for me these days. Do you think it was because of any particular thing you did in Instagram to create your feed in the past, not this last year, but prior to that, were there steps that you took? How, How did you build it up so that you know, people would find you like this, this model found you on Instagram and asked about working together. How yeah. did, how did that come to be? You know, I, I, in the past, I, I tried to post a lot more consistently. Um, but I, I think that hashtagging matters a lot. And uh-huh. more than anything, I, I think that people don't understand how important interaction with others are. If they're trying to build an Instagram following, you see all the people that will go on and like spam a comment and like one of your photos or like 10 of your photos and then not follow you in order to get follows. And that annoys me. But if you actually go on and you search for relevant hashtags to you and like actually seek out things that you find interesting, um, it, I mean, I yesterday had a few minutes, so I was doing my old timey Instagram style, and I, I just was searching for my city and looking through posts and commenting things that were not just great work or cool on things. But there, there's some real estate agent who had posted a remodel that I thought was really beautiful, and I was talking. It, her whole comment was about. Um, using intentional design or something like that. And I commented a heartfelt comment where I was like, this is a really cool thing that you're doing. I appreciate that you're talking about handmade things in a home. And, you know, actually posting something that is relevant to the things that you're seeing will get them to come and look at your page. And that person followed me. And I think that doing stuff like that and going and participating in that world is a good way to build a following. If you're going and wanting to work with models, just going and looking at seeing what other photographers are shooting and who they're working with and commenting on those models, they'll get attention. Right. That will get their attention. And I think that's a good way to build that up, especially if you're looking for, for things in that kind of industry. Right. Very cool. Well, uh, well done on the job, on the, on that shoot. It was, it, it's very impressive. Those results. Hey, thanks so much, man. It, it was a fun one and might not be the most groundbreaking work that I've ever made, but it's <laughs> definitely stuff that was along the lines of my style and what I like to shoot. Yeah. Yeah. It is very much a Connor Hip style for sure. I, yeah. <laughs> I picked that up and, and it's great. You've got a great style. It appeals to a lot of people. So that's, it's uh, it's nice, very contemporary kind of look and it's, it's great. Hey, thanks so, so much, man. All right, let's let's switch to a slightly different topic now. You've got a story that's pretty local to home to you yeah. that's, that is interesting here. Why don't you tell us about what's going on in your neck of the woods? Yeah, so so this for all I know, this story might be irrelevant later today or next week or whatever. Um, but uh, recently the the local municipality um, has decided to assess a new permitting fee to anybody that is shooting in public spaces. So that's any parks, um, technically any roadways. If you're a real estate agent and you want to step on a sidewalk to take a commercial photo, you are supposed to be paying these permit fees to the city of Colorado Springs. Um, This has kind of grown a a, a bit of attention because the fees are pretty high. They're the highest in the state. Um, It's $500 a year to be able to shoot in any of our parks, including Garden of the Gods, which is kind of a a notable Colorado Springs landmark. And um, it's, it's been interesting because park rangers have actually started approaching photographers, telling them that they had to stop their shoot and go purchase a permit from the visitor center over at Garden of the Gods. Um, Otherwise they would get fined. And as this, as people have started asking questions and started emailing the parks service, they've said, oh, well, these regulations haven't been put out yet. Um, But they have posted signs that say that you need them. But they're they're saying, oh, well, things aren't aren't settled yet. So we we have um, not even determined how much the fees are going to be, even though those fees have been posted everywhere. And um, yeah, the local photographer... A person that I went to school with put together a petition to say, hey, these fees are way too high. We're not opposed to paying permitting fees. Um, But specifically, Garden of the Gods was gifted to the city of Colorado Springs um, by a family that owned it privately under the stipulation that that park be given to the public for free in perpetuity. Uh And so now there's some questions around this. Well, why why are we, members of the public, being charged a fee for using that? Um, even though you agreed as the city to take over these grounds and maintain them to 
give to the public for free. Um, yeah, it's, it's just been kind of an interesting development. And uh, I posted this link to a news article where the, the investigator went and contacted the city and they, they're, they have five different stories about how this is supposed <laughs> to be going on. Um, so it's just kind of been an interesting development that, that I think brings up an, a broader conversation about permitting fees, especially in public spaces um, nationwide, and whether or not that should be something that we should be concerned about as photographers. It's it's gotten to the point when whenever I go out to shoot, even though this is like, well, I guess especially actually on pro, on public land, yeah. I get so nervous. It's like anxiety levels rise within me because yeah. I'm I'm worried that someone's going to stop and say you can't do that here. Yeah, and like you know, it's it's a client shoot we've arranged, and then what? Now, now yeah, what am I going to do? What, what are you going to do? <laughs> exactly. Like I, I was, I was approached by a ranger uh, two months ago when I was uh, doing some late fall sessions in a park, um, and they they just saw that we were kind of making our way in in a direction where apparently there were some animals that they were trying to to protect. Oh. So it wasn't something where they they said, "Hey, you have to stop." They're just like, "Hey, d- just so you know, don't go any further in that direction." Uh-huh. And that's something where. I say okay absolutely reasonable sure, like, sure. not not a big deal but when the ranger was walking up to me i'm like oh no what's going on am yeah. i not supposed to be shooting or something i mean I, and I get, yeah i get that there's there's a the other side of the problem too there's so many photographers and so many people out trying to find these beautiful places to go and yeah. shoot in and uh not everyone is respectful of the environment yeah. Uh, so it causes problems there. And there's just like, you know, if there's too many people, the way to control the crowds is to charge a fee and yeah. <laughs> and start making it so that you you have to do that. And because uh, that will thin it out for sure. Uh, so I, I totally get the other side of the equation, too. And, and they have a job to do. They have to to keep in mind what's going on here. Is that what was happening in this case? Or was this like, hey, a way to get some some revenue? That's that's a part of the problem with this whole convoluted mess in them communicating what's going on is that um, on one hand, some people, some officials seem to be stating, oh, well, this is just for regular maintenance of grounds and you guys overuse this space and um, we're trying to maintain the property um, where others are, are leaning more towards, well, you're profiting off of this, so we should be able to assess fees because you're profiting. Um, the, the city in itself has been putting a lot of new fees on a lot of things. They've extended parking meters hours. They've increased prices of parking meters. Um, there, there've been a lot of different measures recently where it seems like they're trying to just find new ways of uh, revenue generation. I get the feeling that especially the amount that is being charged um, is more uh, revenue generation than it is a ground sure. maintenance because um, they, they're not necessarily talking about finding people that are, are, breaking rules. I, I, I would say a vast majority of photographers that I've seen are not going off of um, off into restricted areas where in Garden of the Gods that a lot of the lands are protected. Uh-huh. So there are a lot of areas you're not supposed to go. And generally, I don't see photographers using those spaces. Um, it's tourists that are going in those spaces. And they're not talking about finding anybody that's damaging the grounds or anything like that. It's just about assessing these fees. Um, one more little bit of complication that comes with this is specifically in Garden of the Gods, part of the um, grounds being free to the public is that um, it is a beautiful place that people can have a free wedding. Uh, you, it's a free wedding venue. Um, and yet this now means that anybody that is a wedding photographer for those free weddings has to spend $500 a year to be able to go and shoot in that space. Right. Um, so it, it, it's one of those things where I, I don't quite understand the logic and I don't know that they understand the logic behind exactly what they're doing. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. It, it, like I said, it just, that's like the thing that gives me the most anxiety about shoots these days is the, yeah. the location and getting hassled by somebody about the location. Um, I just, that just is front of mind and it like impacts how I'm doing in the shoot too. I, I don't know if clients can ever tell, but boy, yeah. it makes me nervous. I, I mean, I understand, especially if I go and shoot around the downtown area, around yeah. my studio, oh, yeah. and I'm bringing a light or something. You know, if I if I just have a camera, I don't think anybody really worries, but I, I like my lighting. And <laughs> when I'm carrying a big stand with a softbox on it or something like that right. around downtown, you get some looks. <laughs> and I, I always have it in the back of my mind as well. But the, the, the thing is, up until this point, there have still been permits um, that have been required for certain types of shoots, but they've all been things where... 
if you're, you're if you're really like inconveniencing the public or there's a potential for any right. kind of damage if you're having to close down roadways things like that or, or in, in the city of denver they say you can have up to five people on a shoot but uh, anything more than that, you need to pay for a commercial fee because you're going to inevitably be impeding traffic or whatever it may be, and you have to get licenses. That kind of stuff makes complete sense to me sure. because you're talking about actually inconveniencing people. But when it's a, a single photographer with a senior and their mom or something like that, it just seems weird to to say that that person is the problem. Right. Well, it, what it's led to is I have a few go-to locations now that I've figured out yeah, kind of the temperature about how it is that whether people are are okay with me being there or not. Yeah, um, you know, there's one place where I know it's great because there's a very very nominal fee. It's not much at all. I think it was five dollars, something like that. Yeah, which is just enough to make people go into a, an office and like they can say, okay, make sure you're not getting in the way of people or stay away from here or whatever, yeah. and give yeah. you some instruction and. And have the conversations, and then they kind of know, too, how many are out there, or and they could say, like, wow, we got a lot of people out there right now. Can you guys do this a little later? You know, whatever. There's yeah. there's all those opportunities. But that actually makes me even feel better about it when I know I oh. can go and pay this nominal fee and be in the in the clear, and I'm good. Absolutely. No, I th- that's, that's part of what I'm... My argument with all of this is, is that really, I don't have a problem with the idea of getting a permit or having to register with right. your EIN um, with the city or something where, where they know that you're there using the space. They have an idea of the kind of traffic flow. I, I'm fine with all of that. Really, it's it's kind of the fees that are assessed and the degree to which those fees are assessed. Yeah. I, I like... I don't do a ton of shooting outside. I do most of my work in studios or in business parks because I do a lot of professional headshots. And uh, with the fees, if they're set where they are right now, it actually might make me not want to go shoot outside unless I have a wedding or something that is planning to be in a park. And I'll say, hey, you have to pay my fee. Right, right. You you the one couple because I don't shoot enough to make it really worth my while otherwise. Right. Yep. All right. Very good. I, I love that discussion and the topic there. I'm glad you you brought that story. Uh, it's good good things for everyone to be able to think about and and make sure that they take care of ahead of time doing and, this. And probably a good just heads up in general. Yeah. Not, not saying that any municipality is going to be doing this, but you something that you might not realize is that most cities have some sort of permitting fees that they just kind of overlook and it might be better as a professional to be above the board yeah. on those things so maybe go check and see what kind of permits might be required in your city yeah especially cuz then if there's any kind of enforcement person that comes by yeah. to enforce you're totally right like then then I wouldn't be worried either but like yep here's my pass i got us we're good yeah and exactly like, oh, okay <laughs> 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 it's always better to be able to have it be on that side Definitely so. All right. I, I, I want to switch topics now in extreme. We're going to go into uh, <laughs> to, to some gear stuff um, because I found this really interesting. So this came, comes from uh, F-Stoppers. Had an article very recently here in, uh, in January of 2020. I almost said 2019 there, but it is 2020. <laughs> and um, what they have was some breakdowns of the most popular gear as determined by sales from B&H and rentals from Lens Rentals. So they, they have the top models of uh, cameras, of lenses, and we have a breakdown kind of on the market based on Lens Rentals information regarding, which is it, some, some kind of conclusion can be drawn about what are the most popular camera systems as of right now. It's a little yeah. snapshot in time. And it's interesting. So, I, and, and I wanted to get your feedback, Connor, on kind of where you're at with your your gear and what you're thinking right here in 2020. Yeah, it's like a never ending discussion, right? Gear, gear's <laughs> always a thing. It's always, always yeah. All right. So, so to start off with, they broke it down by most popular DSLR and versus most popular uh, mirrorless, or they just yeah. called it SLR. I think. Uh, no, it's uh, no, it is mirrorless. Okay. So they they broke it down. I kind of wished it was together i would i wish they didn't same i was thinking the exact same thing because i wanted to know the top five sales um in general in general but that's not what we have <laughs> so so here's <laughs> here's what they listed in from b and h here's the top five and they didn't specify if these were in 
order of most popular. It's just they were the top five. So I don't. I, they did later when I talk about the lens mounts and and the most popular rentals. We have actual order here, but the yeah, I don't know if these are in uh, in order or not on the on the first set. But there's here's the the top five cameras that were bought from B&H in 2019. Uh, the first one in the list, again, I don't know if that means it was the most popular sold, but the first one in the list is the Canon EOS 5D Mark IV, followed up by the Nikon D3500, um, and that's what that's was sold most commonly with kit lenses. There's a couple of kit lenses that came with it. And then the next one was the Nikon D850, then the Nikon D750, and the last one was the Canon EOS 90D. So it's interesting that you have two Canon cameras, but three Nikon cameras that mm-hmm. made made the top there. Um, what are you shooting right now, Connor? I I am still shooting my trusty 6D Mark Ones. Yeah, I, I have two of those, and I'm hanging on to them with dear life. But we'll we'll see. We'll see <laughs> what this year brings. Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll talk some more about that in just a second. But yeah, I'm still yeah. I'm still shooting. Uh, mostly my Canon 7D Mark II, which is really, really old camera. It's yeah, I think it's older than the 61. I don't know, I can't remember for sure. But um, anyway, it yeah, I I'm still shooting it, and really, it just for me comes down to it, it's more money that I don't have to spend on a new camera gear, and yeah. it it's doing fine for me. Like my skills have not exceeded my camera, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I still have plenty to learn, plenty to go on being able to do it. But it is interesting to see, um, see how that came out. Lens rentals then, they only had top three. I'm not sure why it's three and not five, but they only have top three from them. And their top three were the Canon EOS 5D Mark IV and the Canon EOS 6D Mark II, and then the Nikon D750. So, for the uh, DSLR cameras, that's how it came out. Mirrorless, uh, the top five from B&H was Sony A7R4, followed by the Sony A7 III, and then the Canon EOS R, then, then the Nikon Z6, and the last one is the Sony A7R three. So, of course, as expected, Sony has the top spots there. <laughs> Shocker. Yeah, with their mirrorless <laughs> cameras. Uh, good to see that Canon and Nikon are in there. I don't know though if it, it, it just feels to me like this is it. It's got the built-in clientele because you have people who have such massive investment in lenses that yeah. this is their way to try out mirrorless and get there uh, without having to switch systems and get into new lenses, and that's probably why they're they made it into the top five. Yeah, uh, lens rentals. They only had two here again. I don't, I don't know why not five, but. Oh, Sony A7 III was one of their top rented camera bodies, followed by the Canon EOS R. So I don't know if, you know, there's not really any information that came along with these to say, well, that's because they didn't have hardly any Nikons rented, or why wasn't it A7 R4? That seems weird to that's, me. Yeah, that that <laughs> seems really weird to me that they wouldn't have the A7 R4 yeah. rented on, on that list, because I would imagine that, I, I feel like that's, that if you're, looking at trying out a mirrorless system, that's when you're going to be renting one. Or or maybe if you need something that's higher end. And the A7R4 seems like that would be the, the go-to choice if you're shooting Sony system. And if you're going to rent, why not rent the best one instead? You yeah, know, the right? most current one. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. Seemed, seemed a little weird. I guess there is, you could have the thought, though, of like, well, the A7 III is the one that's closer to my budget, so I want to try it out. Because yeah, if I do want to buy it, then I don't want to have to be like, oh, man, I can't have this one because it's too expensive. With the well, and, and, and something else, I mean, the A7 III has some incredible video capabilities. So maybe somebody that's a still photographer that's doing a video project right. or something is going to be renting the A7 III um, as their, their top choice for a video project in the Sony world. Right. Th- th- maybe. Right. Okay. So th- the what's more interesting to me then is how the top five broke down. Because this this is a an indicator of market share. I think I don't I don't think it's the end all of market share statistics. I mean, it's only one company. You don't know what motivation. You know, the the rental space is a smaller segment of the total photography yeah. community. So you know, we can't draw a, a lot of firm conclusions out of this. But it's decent information, and at least from lens rentals, we have then the top five 
uh, break the breakdown of market share percentage of rents for different mounts. So it could be any camera that has that mount, but it's the different types of mounts that people are renting in their camera bodies, um, which has a, a decent breakdown of market share. So number one, well, let's go. Let's, we'll do reverse order here. The, the yeah. fifth, the the number five on the list was the Canon RF mount, which is the brand new mount that just came out in 2018, I think it was. And they, uh, you know, it's the R cameras are in um, the that had a percentage of 4.91% uh, rented had that mount. Um, that's up. So uh, this is interesting too about what, what the trend is up or down yeah. throughout the year. So in 2019, that was up from just 0.65%. So yeah, I think that was 2018 when it came out. It was as expected. That would be tiny percentage of rentals just because those cameras weren't even available for a lot of that year. So so a big, big increase going from 0.65% to 4.91% on the Canon RF mount. Uh, number four was Micro Four Thirds. And that the thing that's interesting about that is this could be any Micro Four Thirds camera. Yeah. And so because their mount is the same across <laughs> those brands, which is really cool. That, that is one of the things that's actually really compelling to me because now your your options for buying lenses can be from anybody and be able to have that work and work really well. And it's really a cool situation. Uh, so that was 9.23%. So roughly 5% more than the Canon RF mount. Uh, but it was down from 10.37. So not a lot down, but it was down in 2019 compared to 2018. Number three was the Nikon F mount at 13.09% which was down from nearly 15% at 14.89%. So that Nikon lost some market share, at least from lens rentals in the F mount in 2019. Yeah. Number two, Sony E mount was 27.16%, slightly up from 26.44% in 2018. That was on the rise a little bit, uh, which in these statistics as we're looking at it, being on the rise even just a little bit, but Canon RF mount really on the rise uh, yeah. is, a, is a good thing for that system because all the rest were down, including number one, Canon EF mount, 36.3% of the market share for rentals from Lens Rentals, and that was down from 41.03. So that's a pretty big decline on the Canon EF mount. I uh, got to imagine those went to either Sony E mount or Canon RF. So two. yeah, lo looking at the numbers here, if you look at your your Canon EF mount, how much it went down over the last year, and how much the Canon RF mount went up, the Canon world stayed almost. It, it actually grew so. just a yep. little bit. If you're, it just seems like Canon users are maybe starting to consider a switch over to that RF mount, where your Nikon mount went down by a percent, and your Sony E mount went up by a percent. So. In my mind, my headcanon thinking about this is that Nikon users are not impressed with the Nikon mirrorless and are moving over to that Sony E-mount. Right. Or, because this is a <laughs> rental company, they are all in like, I don't need to rent that camera. I'm just going to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> <And when bought, laughs> there you go. <laughs> that could be. You know, we can't, we can't yeah. draw the lines for sure, but it's interesting information to have. Uh, the, the Canon, or the, sorry, the camera market in general... I believe I saw lots of stories where, you know, it went down a lot just across the board. People yeah. are not replacing their cameras, mostly because we don't see a lot of... I mean, you and I, we're talking... We've been doing lots of photography for several years now, haven't had a need to upgrade our cameras. We're still sitting on the cameras we've had for quite a while. How long have you had your 60 Mark I? Oh, man. Okay. Uh, the thing is, I've actually gone through... I've, I've traded out and, and upgraded, or I guess side-graded, uh -huh. to the same camera a few times at this point. But I've been shooting the 60 in general for, I, I think, since 2014? Uh-huh. 2013 or 2014, I think. And as, so it's been a while. As new cameras have come out... Have you been like sorely tempted or not hardly tempted? Which which way has it gone? You know, I, I tend to just be on the side of if it's working for me, I'm not <laughs> going to go spend the money on something new unless I really need it. Um, I, I When I was shooting a crop sensor, I definitely felt a hard push to move into a full frame. Uh -huh. And then after I got to the 60, I was like, yeah, this is pretty much, it, it checks most of my boxes. I wish that it had a dual card slot. 
Um, yeah. But otherwise, I, I don't really have much else that I need from a camera body. Um, so I, I haven't been super tempted. Every time I see the cool new features, the the A7R4, oh, it has so many features that make me drool. But when I think about the practicalities of, okay, how important is that really for my workflow? Eh, yeah, it, it's not <laughs> quite enough, it's, especially when you balance out with, okay, that means buying all new lenses from yes. Sony, oh. which are going to be expensive. It, it's more than just buying a camera body to switch to no, a, a right. different brand. So it, it, there just really hasn't been enough to really push me to seriously, seriously consider a, a switch, at least at least not yet. Yeah. We'll see. But I've been preaching it for for a long time now. Uh, I think most people just brush it aside now, like, yeah, well, you know, he's a hobbyist. That's <laughs> but I, I think I think photographers, we reach for the easy button on this, thinking that and believing the marketing, and the, they do a great job of doing the marketing. They convince all oh, yeah. of us we gotta have the latest one. That the one you've got now is suddenly garbage because this newest one's out. And it's yeah. so much better. You're wasting your photography skills if you don't get the new one. And I, that's just not true. <laughs> it's just not nope. true. You can do so much with these cameras. Even the more entry-level crop sensor cameras are so capable today. Uh, you can do so much with them and learn. And, and I think it's it's a lack of training, a lack of experience that is limiting photographers way more than the lack of capabilities from a camera these days. Oh, absolutely. In fact, looking at this list, it made me go and compare the specs of my 6D against the um, EOS 90D. And I'm like, oh, man, for, for being a little uh, prosumer camera, like that 90D is pretty appealing. It is really impressive, actually. Yeah. It, it, not not enough to make me make any kind of, of switch not, or, no. or downgrade, but at the same time, I'm like, man, that's uh, if I had that as a capability uh, when I was getting started, I probably would have held on to something like that for even longer right. than I did. I think there's there's huge value in photographers doing that, and that's why I, I continue to keep preaching it uh, because I just not only do I not th I think you don't have to keep spending the money on it. Uh, but you you make it so you don't actually learn your camera as well as you could. If you started out, you know, there's I don't know the the media, the photography media in general seems to really be pushing people to upgrade so much. Maybe it's because they're sponsored, you know, whatever the motivation. There's a yeah. lot of pressure. I know I felt it when I first started getting into it. Like if you have a crop sensor, you're you're inferior and you can't get the results. Uh, you you learn so much about a camera by sticking with it for a while. And your skills yeah. get better. Um, it's way better to spend money. I my advice is way better to spend money on something like a workshop, or mentoring, or training, something along those lines, than it is spending money on a brand new camera. Um, if you're an unskilled photographer or very brand new photographer, pushing that easy button does it's really not going to lead to your images being better. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely sit on the side of for any kind of gear upgrade, you really need to know the ways in which you are actually limited by your current right. gear before you can even start considering upgrading to something else. Like when I made my switch to full frame, I knew that the reason I wanted to do that was because I liked to shoot a lot of contrasty stuff. I like to shoot a lot of stuff in the dark and and just the crop sensor frame didn't quite handle sure. that dark side, the, the the shadows, especially on the Canon um, environment, just didn't handle those shadows nearly as well as I wanted to. I had way too much grain and moving to a crop sensor or to a full frame from that crop sensor really helped me. Right. That's the last time I felt that seriously, seriously compelling reason to move like there once in a while i'll see somebody shooting sports or something and they have a super fast frame rate because they're shooting on a 1dx or something like that right. go, oh man that's awesome but then i go <laughs> but am i am i gonna be shooting sports no okay never mind i don't need that thing and i do shoot sports so that's why the 60 wouldn't work for me because it doesn't have no, no. fast enough far frame too rate. slow for yep. it and and that's why the 70 Mark II and, and is really good. And we have an ADD as well for kind of a, a backup or second camera because my wife likes to shoot with me too. It's, fun, it's yeah. a fun thing we do together. So, I, uh, you know, it, it works out really well. I, we're very happy with that. I'd, I'd love to, to like sell my ADD and buy the 90D, but we haven't done yeah. that. So <laughs> I don't think we will. If you Do you anticipate in 2020 switching at all, Connor? I, you know... I, it really depends on how well my cameras 
hold up. Right. They're, they're, one of them is getting kind of long in the tooth. It has a pretty high shutter count. So I'm thinking there's a reasonable expectation that I'm going to need to either pay for some um, serious maintenance on it or at that point start considering an upgrade. And I, I might make an upgrade. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I'm not at this moment anticipating it just because I want something new. It's it's more, if it comes to needing a new camera, I will probably upgrade from the 60. Okay. And do you have your eye on where you'd go, or would it be when it fails, or if it fails, that's when you'll figure it out? It's kind of kind of that yeah. one. It's, it's more maybe start setting aside some money so I have options available to me. I'll probably stay in the, the Canon spheres. Honestly, I've, I've been occasionally tempted to buy a 5D Mark III because I see them going for a really good price. Right. And, I, at this point, I am not too afraid to be a little bit unfashionable and not have the newest, <laughs> greatest. By the way, I looked it up. My camera is older than yours. Okay. Um, all right. <laughs> by, by two whole years. Oh, all right. Um, but, yeah, so I, I, I don't mind in that. 5D Mark III was still a really great camera that was a workhorse for a lot of people. Sure was. Time. So I might do that. Might end up moving to a 5D Mark IV. Right. But I'll probably stay in the DSLR space because I don't want to have to upgrade lenses and all that. Right. Um, don't want to have to switch environments. Uh, it will say, pie in the sky, if you just hand me $20,000 and say, get whatever camera system you want, I'd probably move towards the Sony environment. Um, but otherwise, I'm probably sticking Canon, and I'll probably go with a 5D Mark III or Mark IV. And it really doesn't matter. You know, it, we the, photographers tend to have this, like, gear-bashing war constantly, and it, there's not really... <laughs> It, like I said, it's more important the skill set of the photographer behind the camera than it is the camera. So it's oh yeah, it's the developing your skill set there is more important. And don't worry about what everyone else has. It it doesn't matter as long as you can create the images that you you want to and you're you're envisioning. That's what matters. And yeah, and having the right tool to do that. If you're just starting out, I think it does make sense to like figure out what do people have around you so that you can get help from them and, yeah. and have them mentor you. They're a lot more willing to answer questions about a camera they know than one they don't. Uh, and yeah. and it doesn't if even if they're a really good photographer, if they're if their whole career has been spent with a Canon or with a Nikon, uh, going up and asking them about a camera they haven't spent their career with. It doesn't really matter. It, they may not know. Like, yeah, I don't know. There's different words that are used for the same thing in those cameras. And it's not it's not cross-platform. Like, it's not compatible, yeah. really. Pretty much, if you're talking Nikon and you're not saying D850 or D750, I have no clue what you're saying. I really don't. And it's fun realizing how ignorant of a world I can be. Yeah, it's just different. It's It's really challenging that way. So there is value, I think, in... Figuring that out, getting a camera that's the same as the other possible photography mentors there might be in your life. But other than that, it doesn't matter. It's a tool. Pick the tool that you like the best and, and go do. Yeah, like I, I always get a, a little bit of a chuckle when I'm out shooting an event or something, and there's another photographer there that tries to like gear flex on you, <laughs> yeah, gear and flex. and just <laughs> having the maturity and understanding of how much it really doesn't matter, and just being like, oh, cool, neat, yeah, I'm just shooting a 6D, and knowing I'm probably getting better stuff than you, most likely. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, you know it goes the other way too. Like sometimes I'll be shooting an event, and I'll have somebody that's like, oh, you know, I just I I have a really old canon 6dd and i'm like cool you using it well yeah because you know how to use the thing then yeah if awesome. you're using it and you 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 i have somebody in mind that i shot an event with recently that was really bashful and i'm like i'm not gonna shame you for that like you're you're hustling you're working you're getting a lot of interesting angles like i can tell you're getting stuff you're good yeah yep, yeah exactly okay let's let's wrap this up with some lenses here they have some information about lenses uh, Lens Rentals has a list of, I don't know, it looks like eight or so. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know why there's a top eight there and only a top three. And top, I don't know, the, the Lens Rental data is, is interesting. But uh, here here's the most popular lenses then. So for SLRs, uh, from B&H, these were the ones that were most popular by sales in 2019. Uh, the first on the list, I don't know if that's first by most sales, but it's the Sigma 18 to 35 f1.8 so that's an ef mount canon ef mount then the number two on the list was canon 24 to 70 f282 the number three was the canon 50 millimeters 1.8 stm 
The number four, the Canon 72 to 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 200, easy for me to say. <laughs> uh, F2.8 IS3. And the last one was the Canon 85 millimeter F1.8. So all of them ended up being uh, EF mounts, I think. Maybe the 50s in EFS, I don't know. But uh, now the 50s in EF okay. as well. The, the 1.8 is. So that's, yeah. that's uh, all five on the, the sales list were Canon lenses. That's kind of been their reputation for a long time now. Nikon cameras in the past have had the better sensor capabilities and Canon has had the better lenses. Uh, but I don't know if that's how true that is holding today. Uh, Sony probably, well, Nikon gets their sensors from Sony mostly these days anyway. Anyway, yeah. uh, interesting just that all Canon stuff there in the in the yeah. top. And, and interesting to see that on the wide end of that range, it's not the Canon lens that's being sold. It's the Sigma. Oh, right. That 18 to 35. That I, I did find that that, that was interesting because otherwise you have you have the other two in the Trinity and then you have a Nifty 50 and the 85 1.8. None of those are surprises to me in terms of what focal ranges are being sold. But it is a little bit surprising that the Sigma um, took took the place of the 16 to 35 in the Canon. Yep. Or, yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, and I'm glad to see that. Actually, I'm, I'm a massive yeah, fan same. of Sigma and Tamron. They're both just killing it, and yeah, at a much more reasonable price. So, <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's good. Okay, lens rentals. Here's I, I'll run down the list really fast. It's like everything Canon, uh, but more ranges. So 24 to 70 f 282, the 70 to 200 f 282 and three. So right in succession, those two. Uh, the Canon 35.142, the Canon 51.2, the Canon 16 to 35 f 283, the Canon 100 to 400 4.5 to 5.6, uh, Mark II, the Canon 100 2.8 uh, macro, and the Canon 24 to 105 f4 IS2. So all were the top rented lenses during 2019. All Canon. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting thing there. <laughs> Okay, for mirrorless, uh, obviously not going to be Canon or Nikon. <laughs> the mirrorless <stuff. laughs> for B and H, the top sold was the Sony twenty four to one hundred five one four G. Number two was Tamron twenty eight to seventy five. So kind of interesting. It was the Sony E mount Tamron. Then number three was the Sony twenty four GM, and number four the Sony eighty five one point eight. So Sony taking most of there, and, and then the Sony E mount was all of it. So that's that's yeah. interesting. Top sold from B and H, and then lens rentals: the Sony FE seventy to two hundred, uh, and then the Sony FE twenty four to seventy, and the Tamron twenty eight to seventy five F two E mount. So again, made the top list. That Tamron twenty eight to seventy five is obviously a really good lens for mirrorless shooters. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I do get en lens envy on some of them. Like, I don't have a, a super long, like a 400 at all. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I get the, the temptation every once in a while to buy those, but it's again, I then think about the practicality yeah. of it and go, eh, maybe not. The one that the one lens that might actually tempt me this year is the Tamron 24 to 70 Mark II. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, <laughs> which, I love yeah, it. It, it's one of those things that my, oh man, I, yeah, the, my 24 to 70 is so beat up at this point. It is, um, on its last legs that that's probably going to be the next piece of gear that i actually upgrade is is to that 24 to 70 tamron mark ii right okay well there there's our information for this year it's uh it's interesting stuff and connor thanks so much for coming on we're gonna close up the show with our doodads of the week connor why don't you start us off here what do you what do you have for doodads of the week yeah, so my doodad is um, maybe a little bit pricier than doodads tend to be <laughs> and is not a tangible item, but it's the infinite color panel. Um, it's a plug-in for Photoshop that kind of automates um, color toning for you, and it's something that I've been using a lot. So this session that I recently shot that we talked about at the beginning of the show, all of the color toning that I did was using infinite color panel, and it's nice to just have kind of a button to click. It's not... Um, it's not a preset in the way that you think of presets. It's not something where I just click on one option. It kind of randomizes um, a bunch of different color layers so you can turn on 
all of them or some of them and gives you different options and you just keep shuffling until you find something you like. Huh. And I love it. it. It's been a great way for me to kind of not have to think too much about my color toning. When I do that, I tend to go for the same things over and over. And it's kind of pushed me to do some new things with my, my personal work, which I like a lot. Huh? Well, that's interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. I'm going to have to yeah, see. Def- definitely worth giving a go. Yeah. For sure. Okay. I am going to recommend something I've recommended a lot in the past. <laughs> and uh, it's just because I've been using it a ton again uh, over this Christmas, last Christmas holiday. Every year I do a Christmas tree setup video. I, I record yeah. three different camera angles of my family setting up our Christmas tree. And, and we've done it for so many years. It's just part of tradition now. And my kids can't wait to see the video as we put it out and and now it's it's nostalgic because we get to see the kids all growing up year after year anyway i it was a bunch of video work which i rarely do a, a lot of video work but i had a bunch of video work to do this year and i did it all off of this ssd this external ssd drive because it's super fast and and i just love it so this is the sandisk one terabyte extreme portable external SSD and you can connect it via USB-C and get some just insane speeds from it. It's it's tiny. Like when you look in the pictures, it looks like it might be like you you envision a, a normal external drive about how big it would be, but this thing is like small enough it could almost be like your keychain. In fact, it's got a little cutout in the corner of it, I think, so that you could kind of fit it on a keychain if you wanted to. And it's, it's really cool. It's just awesome. I like the one terabyte size so that I have enough space to, to make it meaningful for putting like photos. If you have a, a kind of small, because one terabyte's not huge for a catalog of photos, but, um, but good. It's a good price uh, ratio there of size to price. It, it's about $165 right now on Amazon. I'll put a link to in the show notes for the one terabyte version. The two terabyte version is um uh, makes a massive jump. It's like a hundred bucks more. For, it's about two seventy to go up to two terabytes, which you double the size. So I guess that kind of makes sense to have it go up. Anyway, it's a really good solution. I, I know there's a good friend of mine, Greg Benz, it loves these things too. He's told me before, like if they sold an eight terabyte version of this, I would buy it, even if it was like five hundred dollars. That would be <laughs> what I would do <laughs> to have this thing in that kind of size. He does a fair enough video that it would really be helpful to him and. Uh, anyway, it's, it performs extremely well. I can't hi- recommend it highly enough for listeners who may be interested in getting some, adding some some really fast external storage, especially if you run a MacBook Pro. The internal storage just tends to be too little, and this is a really good way to solve that problem. Yeah, definitely something that I've. Uh, that's an upgrade I'll make this year. Yeah, I can definitely say for sure I'm going to be getting one of those this year. And I like repeating them when they're things that work super well, like yeah, updating people. Because sometimes I'll put one out there like, well, I've tried it a little and I really like it so far, but will it hold up over time? And this is one that, oh yeah, for sure, this <laughs> this is going to be my recommendation for a long time to come. I think. Although there was some new stuff coming out of CES that's kind of interesting, but yeah, we're not going to talk about that right now. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) we're going to close up the show here. I want to remind everyone, masterphotographypodcast.com is the home for the show. Go there, find out the show notes. We'll have Connor's beautiful images from this latest shoot that you can go check out there. Uh, We have the Facebook group, Master Photography Podcast. You can go search for that or hit the show notes and there's a link to it. We'd love to have you join in there, even if you don't do another thing in Facebook. And I don't blame you if you don't want to. I'd love to have you come and join our community there. We've checked out some other options to be able to have our community. And there just isn't anything that's quite as accessible and still free. <laughs> so <laughs> so, uh, so that's, that's where we're at. Um, you can find my work over at jsharmanphotos.com or check out my other podcast. That's Photo Taco Podcast. This month in January, I'm going to be giving you some technical advice about how it is you should set up that external storage with Lightroom in particular. It would I think Connor would also help for Capture One. I think similar yeah, concepts probably there. Probably so. But uh, but I'm doing some really in depth performance testing to see does it matter if your catalog is not on the drive versus where your photos are and so on. So how to set that up and and what to do there. So if you're I've had tons of questions coming in. People, I think, that have hit that storage wall and needed to add that external storage. Like, okay, but how should I set this up? What's the best way to do it? 
I'm going to tell you, in Photo Taco, it's coming out in an episode soon here in January, so you can go check that out. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram stuff is all going to be there in the show notes. Connor, where can people find you? Uh, you can find my work at connorhibbs.photography. That's my website. Or you can just find me on Instagram. My, my Instagram handle, handle is at connorhibbsphotography. Excellent. And it's definitely worth following his Instagram because he's probably going to post more than nine images this year. Yeah, I'll post more than nine <laughs> images. That's my goal. Post more than nine images. I can probably hit that. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate our listeners. If we didn't have you, we would not be able to keep the show going. So thank you so much. We'd love if you would uh, subscribe to the show and share the show. If you would get others, other photographers to go and subscribe, that's the thing that would help us the very, very most, helping those people to come and subscribe to the show. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you again in another seven days. 